part of what I do in this method, it's, it's known for helping people get out of joint replacement surgeries. This gentleman, he's a world famous photographer. He hired me to travel around with him all over the world from the Arctic all the way to Antarctica to keep him out of a knee replacement surgery, but also an acute rotator cuff tear. He had fallen and torn some tendons in his shoulder and he didn't want to have surgery and came to see me from Florida and couldn't lift his arm overhead, but in three days we got him his arm completely up overhead and he was here. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Dr. Amy Devotny. Amy is the founder of the PABR Institute, which stands for Pain, Awareness, Breathing Relief. This method is a holistic approach to restoring the body to its full potential by using the body's own nervous system. Her methods have helped people not only reduce and eliminate pain, but have also helped with stress, anxiety, orthopedic surgeries, sleep issues, and the need for medications. Our conversation ranges from her experience co-authoring several Amazon number one best-selling books to her running accomplishments that include over 40 marathons and 10 ultra-marathons, and even her experience photographing emperor penguins in Antarctica. With that in mind, just sit back, relax, maybe even take a deep breath, and get ready for Dr. Amy Novotny's journey with the Paber Institute. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over the past several years, and I'm glad to be here. Of course. It's always a pleasure when our our paths cross and we're able to reconnect and catch up a little bit. We are here to talk about PABR. And for all the listeners out there, uh, PABR is an acronym for Pain Awareness breathing relief, which is a holistic approach to restoring the body to its full potential using the body's own nervous system. So what first inspired you to start this institute to begin with? Well, I had my doctorate in physical therapy and I did traditional physical therapy for about five years and I realized at the time that there was much more I needed to learn about the body than what I had been taught in graduate school. And because I I was working with people and they would get better. I was considered a very, very good physical therapist where I was working. But inside me, I knew there was something that was missing, something I didn't completely understand. And I knew that I needed to find that. So I started taking some coursework in, it's called the Postural Restoration Institute. It's a business, a company, looking at how we have different asymmetries in our body. So for instance, our some muscles that attach to our right hip, our right hip flexors, they attach higher on the spine than the left side. Our diaphragm that we use to breathe is not symmetrical side to side. And so I started looking at that and how that impacts the way we move and how that can lead to pain. And it also affects your breathing as well. So I started doing that, but at the time I was training to qualify for the Boston Marathon, I started experimenting with my breathing and more importantly, my breathing and my rib cage position. And I realized as soon as I changed my rib cage position, my breathing changed and I calmed down and all the tightness, pain, aches, all that all went away. 
I mean, very quickly, which was shocking to me. And, you know, you get off the treadmill, you're like, wow, I don't have to stretch. What's what's going on here? Is, <laughs> is this something that everyone knows about and I'm just late to the game? Or is this something I'm stumbling on? And so I realized, okay, it's something I'm stumbling on. So I started thinking about it, playing on myself, using myself as a guinea pig, experimenting. And I realized I didn't need to stretch anymore. I didn't need to foam roll. I didn't need to do scraping. All those things that we traditionally say as a physical therapist, you need to do this, this, and this to keep yourself flexible and mobile. Stop doing it. My, my speed got faster. I qualified for Boston easily four, four or five different times. I ran a, a race under the BQ qualifying time. It was incredible. And so I just started on that journey and I started studying more and started implementing more. And it led to the development of this process, the PABR method. No, that's so cool. And I love that you mentioned the, the Boston Marathon as well, because that's how we initially met uh, years yeah. ago. So I love that whole full circle thing. I was listening to your interview on the Success Habits of Super Achievers podcast with Kyle Wilson. Mm-hmm. And, and there you mentioned mm-hmm. how you dropped 14 minutes off your marathon time in six months by practicing some of these mm-hmm. breathing techniques. So that naturally caught my attention being a runner myself. So can you explain a little bit about how that worked in regards to your training? Did you just incorporate this breathing method into your training and then have it carry over to the race? Is that kind of how it was? Yeah. So when I was running on a treadmill, I'd run two to three times a week on the treadmill for eight miles. That was my base training, typically three times a week and then one long run on the weekend. Sometimes I did two times on the treadmill and then a long run and an eight-miler easy run on outside. And as I was running on the treadmill, I started practicing this new breathing method and working on my ribcage position, and all of a sudden I could run faster. So for those of you who know the Coyote and Roadrunner cartoon, we have, you know when you're a kid, there's that image of the Roadrunner running and its legs just moving and its body just staying still. That's truly how I felt. It felt as though my legs were just free to move and I could just run like that forever as long as I could keep myself calm and keep my back relaxed and my rib cage in position, my hips were free so my legs could just move and my arms could just swing freely. And it was just phenomenal. I just truly practiced that. I didn't change anything else about my routine. I kept the same type of runs. I did the same strength training routine all of it was the same so only thing i changed is the breathing and i just got faster and faster no and that's so interesting and obviously it must be working and stuff too and i know you're a very accomplished runner yourself i mean you've you've ran over 40 marathons which i find super impressive and even 10 ultra marathons that include 200 mile races which just blows my mind uh, <laughs> and for all the listeners out there anything over 26.2 miles is considered an ultra marathon so in addition to your breathing technique going back to routines and everything is there any other pieces of advice you have for someone who wants to co- maybe complete a marathon someday or even an ultra marathon yes oh there's tons of advice i could give on that one but <laughs> <laughs> um if you haven't done it before really reach out to someone whether it's to get a coach or do significant research online about how to work out and and how to train up for a race. I see so many problems in people's training schedules and what they're doing. They push it and push it and push it. And the problem is they don't have any recovery. Now, and when I say recovery, it's not just sit down or it's not just cross train. In case you're unfamiliar with that term, cross training is essentially doing another activity outside of the realm of your sport for training purposes. So if you're primarily a runner, that could be biking, swimming, or other similar activities. Cross-training is a great way to work out other areas of the body in order to reduce the risk of injuries, and it can be a nice substitute when you're dealing with an injury that prevents you from doing your normal workout. 
It's calming your nervous system down. That's truly what I teach because the more you can calm yourself down after pushing it in the gym or in a workout or in a run, the faster you recover and your nervous system allows the muscles to go back to their resting loose position instead of you getting tighter, tighter, tighter. There's a lot to learn into marathon and I really suggest building a community so you can learn from people and ask questions or hire a coach or someone, you know, someone like me that can help guide your way or someone like you who you've done the Boston several times, someone like you, you could guide them in what to think about and what to consider because we, we learn from our own mistakes, but if we can minimize some of those mistakes by asking the right questions, it's just going to serve someone better when they go for that marathon or ultra marathon. No, so true. And um, thinking back to, because I just remember doing the Indianapolis marathon and there was somebody going there who was competing in a marathon for the first time. And it felt really special to me because I I offered him some piece of advice and I don't know if he actually took it or not. I have no idea, but oh, it feels good to kind of give back in that way too. And uh, and yeah, I remember just telling him to, to be patient and everything and just settle into a good pace and almost just kind of zone out. And that's what I do personally, but um, I mm-hmm. guess everyone's kind of different in that way, especially, in, and I also mentioned too, just about how much the weather changes through it because people kind of look like I was crazy wearing shorts and a tank top in November in Indianapolis when it's like borderline snowing or slating outside. We're out there for a while. It's going to warm up and I'm going to regret it if I wear layers or I'm just going to strip them off anyway and throw them to the side. Yes, and that depends on each person because <laughs> someone like me, I would be in long sleeves. I run most of my marathons in long sleeves, long pants, and people think I'm crazy. So depending on your heart rate <laughs> and your metabolism, and it really depends. So always practice, 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 practice with different layers so you know what you want to wear during the race and be ready to chuck it and donate it to the to whatever charity that they're, they're <laughs> using to, for all the clothes at that race. So true. And actually speaking of Boston, I remember I didn't even know about that prior and I got these nice like running sweats and everything. Um, and I didn't know that about, you know, what you wear there if you strip it off in the runner's village and, and everything that everything gets donated. <laughs> Cause yeah. I, and then I, I, I learned my lesson after that first year and everyone's wearing like, you know, cheap footy pajamas. Mm-hmm. They got at Walmart the night before and something like that. So, uh, yeah, going full circle with those lessons learned and stuff like that. I've definitely learned after each race as well. Everyone's definitely different in terms of, of training and stuff too. So um, <laughs> me being a Michigander, maybe that makes a difference in <laughs> me being okay with cold and frigid weather and not wearing layers. So definitely. speaking of, of uh, frigid weather, I got a, a quick story real quick. So mm-hmm. years ago, I interviewed David Alexander, who's a vocalist for a pop punk band called Carousel Kings. And David's big on mental health, meditation, and overall just unlocking these different parts of the brain and he mentioned a person who climbed mount everest wearing shorts who had a special breathing technique and i I believe he was referring to wim hof Mm -hmm. so do you ever have to adjust your breathing practices for extreme instances like embarking in frigid temperatures or if the individual is participating in a different sport or something like that so it depends on the person now most of us get really ramped up we're already at a high level so there's something called your fight or flight mode Mm -hmm. your sympathetic nervous system most of us exist in high alert mode just with our daily life. And what Wim Hof does is he takes them at whatever level you're at and by doing some type of hyperventilative breathing pushes that limit even higher so that you can withstand the cold so that you drop back down mm-hmm. when the when you're done with the cold. I do a different technique where I teach people where they're at in high alert mode. They learn how to control 
their body to drop them down into parasympathetic relaxation so that their body calms and their muscles work normally. So what we're doing is two different situations. If, for instance, I, I did a 100K where it was frigid temperatures, it was sleeting, hailing, we were running in eight inches of mud and water, it was late at night. And so in that sense, I tried to keep my body calm, but it still went into hyperventilative breathing, what Wim Hof teaches. Mm -hmm. In order for me to continue to be able to move safely and to get through that, I kept working on my breathing to calm myself down. Because for me, in my persona, my personality, my nature, I need to stay calm in order for myself to work and for in order to push myself in those limits. Because the other thing is you have that balance. You can ramp yourself up, which at times we do need to do. But if you're at the end of a 100k race, you also need to keep yourself calm so that your bones stay in the correct position to move. So it really depends. Like if I wasn't at mile 62, then I would probably, if I was like at mile two, sure, I could throw my chest out and I can do a hyperventilative breathing like Wim Hof. Mm -hmm and really ramp myself up. But if it's been 60 miles in a 62 mile race, I'm not going to ramp myself up too much because my body's already at its limits and I don't want to put my bones in a position where it's going to cause pain. So in that sense, I'll calm myself down to allow my muscles to go back in the correct position so it's easier for them to move. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that, I guess, hyperventilative breathing really makes sense too in terms of, in a way, putting your body more, more alert and almost just like almost just warming the body up in a way is that is that kind of what it is if you're in those frigid temperatures like the method he does the method he does what it does is it allows your nervous system to be able to go on further high alert which mm -hmm. further tenses muscles up to get you to fight flee or free okay so it works on tensing you up so you can handle an extreme situation so that you can get through it and then come out of that state. gotcha in that sense he's really ramping you up even more trying to push you beyond what you thought was capable for your body. Okay. Yeah, I know. And he's big on, I guess, defying what scientists have always said and kind of defying science in that way and pushing the body to extreme limits and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I know that was kind of his big things. Something I got thinking about as well is because sometimes I use apps called Headspace for guided meditation and things like that. And I could sense some parallels between the two. So how much does mentality play a factor into the breathing exercises? Like, let's just say somebody's focusing on on the body and on their breathing, would do you think that would have a more positive impact on the experience that they have? So your mind definitely matters in terms of can you stop the internal chatter in your mind mm -hmm. for a, a moment to allow you to focus on what you need to sense when you're doing this breathing body position technique. So it's more than just breathing what we do. It's it's actually breathing is a small portion of the process. It's more about can you feel and sense things in your body and change the way you position your ribs to allow you to breathe differently. So breathing is just a tiny bit of the puzzle. And so your mind plays a role in that. So if you're if you're thinking, okay, I'm never going to get it or if your mind is wandering, mm -hmm. you're not going to feel what you need to feel to evoke a change. Mm -hmm. If you're, even if you're uh, maybe say more inclined to be negatively thinking instead of positively thinking because maybe you have a lot going on in your life, you can still get a benefit to this and you can actually, it can actually shift you into the positive. So I wouldn't say that your mindset necessarily prevents you from learning it, mm -hmm. but it's more that what is your mind doing right now to allow you to focus so that you can feel something. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And I remember listening to your previous podcast interviews and talking about 
almost challenging the way that we've always been taught posture wise to to sit and everything. And I know that obviously plays a factor into, you know, this breathing technique as well. But um, yeah, it was just something I was I thought was interesting in terms of just the mentality of it. With the world still dealing with COVID-19, which affects the respiratory system, has that changed your approach at all with your breathing techniques? Or have you worked with any people who are maybe still recovering from COVID? No, it hasn't changed anything at all. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I had COVID. Oh, wow. <laughs> my oxygen got down to 84, 86%. And so it was great. I did the breathing and it went right back up to 97% within a couple of seconds. So hmm. when at the worst of it, I was, I got hit with it and I didn't know I had it. I got tested. It tested negative. I thought it was fine. I got slightly mm-hmm. better. I was feeling fine, no trouble. And then boom, it hit me really hard. And so that more it hit me hard. I was up all night because my oxygen kept dropping down 84, 86%. And so I just sat there and I just kept breathing. It stayed up. And then if I stopped my normal breathing practice, then it went back down. And so I just kept doing that all night long and it dropped down. I was pretty sick for about two weeks. But as soon as I got the correct medications, things started changing, but I still practiced this technique. And I've worked with many, many people who've gone through COVID and we work on opening up their body so that their lungs fill, you know, in all directions. A lot of time when we're taught chest out, shoulders back, and we try to flatten our upper back so it doesn't look like we have any curve what Mm -hmm. that does is we're preventing air from getting to the back of our lungs so we have to change the people's perceptions of what good body position or posture looks like into okay we need air in your lungs you are supposed to have a curve in your upper back it's supposed to come out a little bit so that allows your lungs to expand back there so we change that so so i said it's not just your breathing but it's how you position your body and how you use your muscles because that forces a certain way of existence. So you can either exist where you're tight and tense and stressed and anxious, or we can change that into this free-flowing body where it just moves and you can get air in the back of your lung. A lot of times we have to work through that and it helps people with COVID. Okay, gotcha. And it's it's funny because I was just catching up on some of your podcast episodes at work earlier today. And as you were talking about... Um, the posture, I just kept getting conscious of my own posture and trying to, to fix it in that way too. And <laughs> yeah, um, it, it is an adjustment for sure. Because like you said, I mean, we're, we're taught to have a completely different posture and it's just kind of all adjusting to, to that mindset and allowing, I guess, the, the airflow to work better with our own bodies. Yeah, because most people think good posture is sticking your chest out, pulling your shoulders back, sucking up your gut. And I when I teach them, no, 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 it's completely counterintuitive. I'm saying, no, let your belly out. Let your ribs drop down. Let your shoulders relax. Do not stick your chest out. Mm-hmm. It's the worst thing you can do. And it goes against most people and what they think. And But as soon as they start to shift out of that, oh, my gosh, the transformation in what they can do and how happy they are just because they feel so much better, it's really incredible. No, definitely, for sure. Now, going back to the Success Habits of Super Achievers podcast episode you were featured on, you mentioned a really interesting story revolving around Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. (laughs) Can you briefly explain that interaction with him? Yeah, so I was on an investment cruise, and the host of the cruise said, oh, that's the guy you need to work with. And I said, who? And he's like, Robert Kiyosaki. And I said, oh, I'd love to work with him. We'll see if that happens over the next eight days. And when I went to go get his autograph for his book, which I'd read already a couple times, I just said, I thanked him for changing my life. And he asked me what I did. And he said, you know, I told him, I said, I help people get out of pain using a special technique. And 
he said, oh, really, I'd love for you to help me. And all of this I can tell you about because it's all public knowledge and mm -hmm. in, in public places. And so the next night at dinner, we're sitting with a group of people and he came up with some others and he said, so when are you going to help me? <laughs> of course, <laughs> everyone, because he was like the idol of this cruise. I mean, everyone was falling around asking for autographs and everyone's shocked. And I just said, oh, happy on your time. And this is at 930 at night. He's like, well, what about right now? I said, okay. I said, bye, everyone. And I took off and went and we just sat down and I kind of went through the process of what I do and I helped him and he, he became very relaxed. He just calmed down completely. When I kind of stirred him back up, he was kind of about to fall asleep in my lap <laughs> about falling over. I, I just said, you know, how do you feel? And he said, wow, the pain, it's almost gone. It's been there for a year and the doctors didn't know what to do. And I've had all these scans, people have tried things. And I said, yes, we just have to calm your nervous system down. And here's a guy who is, you know, on top of his game, everyone's after a piece of him and his advice and wisdom. And I don't blame them, but at the same time, he doesn't get to rest. He doesn't get to just mm -hmm. relax and just exist. And so I worked with him for the next day. He wanted help in the gym. So put him on the floor in the gym and put him to sleep because he got so relaxed. And people were coming up to me asking me, is he okay? I said, yeah, he's fine. And then the next day after that, people came up to me and said, Robert's looking for you. He's, he said, you're his body healer. What are you doing? And so it just basically became this kind of little funny joke of him calling me his body healer. And we're great friends today. <laughs> no, that's so cool. I was a business major in, in college and I, I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, previously. Mm -hmm. It is a very monumental book, a very essential business book for sure. No, I just love that story. And I think that's so interesting. Now, have you had any other experiences where maybe you impromptu stepped in to help out an individual experience? pain kind of like that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, no matter where I go, it ends up happening. I mean, in the middle of races, I've done that where I see someone bent over on the side of the road grabbing some muscle that's in spasm or they're hurt and I'll stop in the middle of a race and say okay I want you to do this this and this just do that for a few minutes and you can get up and run I remember Leadville is pacing a couple a husband and wife was pacing both of them and muling for both of them and we we're on top of one of the six peaks and a friend of mine he was down for the count his quad had spasmed up and he's an avid runner in Arizona mm -hmm. and I said okay you need to do this and you need to get up and he's like I don't know I said just do this and so later um, like we were running all night next morning he came up to me he's like I couldn't believe it it actually worked you know you told me what to do and I followed along and the spasm all the cramping all of it went away it really does and I mean at parties I'm usually on the floor with someone having them blow up balloons and get them out of pain so I'm used to it <laughs> <laughs> for sure. It's like you're always working and always on the clock. Yeah. No, I love that story too about helping marathon runners and things like that because it's so interesting to me because I felt that sense of community during races and everything as well. Like um, I just remember doing the Steamboat Springs Marathon out in Colorado and I was really feeling it, I think around mile 17 or 18 or so. My knee was just killing me and I just had to keep taking breaks and, and just keep chugging along. And there were some runners who would just stop by and say, oh, do you want me to help stretch you out and everything? And, you know, there it's, it, you know, marathon runners and runners in general, just great, you know, people who just want to help one another out. Now, going back to what you do with Paber and everything, I was listening to the interview on the Justin Aguirre podcast. And in there, you mentioned the rationality behind the use of the penguin in your logo um, and how penguins are a symbol for strength against adversity and rebirth. And I just love that symbolism. And I also love penguins. They're probably one of my favorite animals. So. <laughs> Aw, didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. 
And I know that you actually had some firsthand experience photographing penguins in the wild. Mm -hmm. um, so can you speak a little about that whole experience and what led to that opportunity? Yeah, so part of what I do in this method, it's it's known for helping people get out of joint replacement surgeries or mm -hmm. this other, this gentleman, he's a world famous photographer. He hired me to travel around with him all over the world from the Arctic all the way to Antarctica to keep him out of a knee replacement surgery, but also an acute rotator cuff tear. He had fallen and torn some tendons in his shoulder and he didn't want to have surgery and came to see me from Florida and couldn't lift his arm overhead but in three days we got him his arm completely up overhead near his ear and so he hired me after that to travel with him and I'm also a photographer and so I said sure why not I'll give up my entire life uh, he paid <laughs> just to cover my expenses and I left my whole life and I traveled around the world with him for six months and then that ended up in Antarctica and so we took a Russian icebreaker from the tip of Argentina across the southern oceans through the Drake Passage into the Weddell Sea where if you know if you've heard of Shackleton he was a sailor back in the early 1900s and he had a big shipwreck and we went into that same sea where there's icebergs floating around and you're in the middle of sea ice and then we then had to take a helicopter up six miles over sea ice and they dropped us off on ice and then we trekked another mile and a half or so to the emperor penguin colony where we photographed emperor penguins and we had three days down there before some storms came that we had to leave we were supposed to have seven days but on the voyage down there we got caught in a bad storm and we were spinning in circles for 25 hours in the middle of the ocean. Not fun. My roommate yeah. broke her elbow when she was flung across the room when the boat pitched to the side. It was not fun at all. Ooh, wow. It was quite an adventure, and but it was the most spectacular place in the world. If you can imagine, you're only seeing blue and white, but it's every shade and combination of blue and white in such a beautiful scene. It truly blows your mind, and then every once in a while you see an animal that's, you know, not blue or white, and it's, it catches your eye, and you see this movement. It's just truly amazing to see a ship just breaking through ice, and you can hear the crunching, and you see the algae that comes up from underneath the sea ice, and the boulders of icebergs. It's just incredible. Truly a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. As weird as it sounds, I was randomly looking into, you know, how to actually get to Antarctica and things like that for a random hypothetical scenario and stuff like that. And it's crazy. I mean, because, yeah, I mean, no commercial flights go out there or anything. It's basically like a, like a giant science lab, essentially. They just do a bunch of studies and things there. But that's such a crazy, awesome story. And, um, yeah, and the, and the pictures are absolutely stunning, too. And it's spectacular. <laughs> Clearly, you, you dabble in many different endeavors. I mean, marathon running, completing an Ironman triathlon, your mm -hmm. photography, and even your ability to speak French and Spanish that you studied throughout college. So do any of those aspects help complement what you do with the Paver Institute? It does, because now that I'm, I'm virtual, so I work with people all over the world. I can work with people in various Spanish-speaking countries, French-speaking countries. I truly have clients all the way over into New Zealand, you know, all over England and Canada. I talked to a lady yesterday in Mauricio. It's literally all over the place. No, that's, that's so cool. Obviously, you stay busy. Do you ever find it difficult to juggle all of those parts of your life or have any of those aspects been put on the back burner lately or anything? In some sense, I haven't run a marathon since February of 2020. Part of it was a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And part of it is uh, I'm focused on growing my business and getting this, this information out there so that more people have control over their health, control over how they feel. So in that sense, 
Long distance running has taken a little bit of a back burner. Practicing French and Spanish, I don't practice as often as I would love to. So when I get clients, you know, obviously I'm practicing. But in the other sense, I'm not studying on a regular basis. Occasionally I'll watch a French movie or read a French book or listen to the Spanish radio station just to keep up on things. But it's a priority thing and I prioritize my health so I make sure I have downtime as well. So I, yeah. I listen to what I preach with people. <laughs> You're doing better than I am with the marathon running, honestly. <laughs> the last one I've done was actually Indianapolis at the end of 2019 and then we had the whole pandemic and I actually had pretty ambitious marathon plans for 2020 and none of them happened. <laughs> yeah. but I am doing my first one the end of September in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and then I'm nice. also doing Chicago in October. So I'm really excited for that and hopefully return to a more normal schedule in 2022. So much of that resonates with me just because if you pick up new hobbies, sometimes you have to put others on the back burner or just not spend as much time with them. So I completely understand that. So what are some daily habits you have in your life that help with your work? So when I get up up in the morning, I make sure that I get back into neutral. I go into a special position where I calm myself down, doing some breathing, then get up and go for a run. And mm -hmm. then from there, I obviously clean up, but then it's okay. A matter of addressing any fires, any emails that I need to for clients and preparing for each of my clients. So I take time going through their chart, their history, everything that we've ever talked about. So I know, okay, this is kind of where I'm, where we're going with this person. Now, mm -hmm. when I talk to them, I can completely change the plan because everything's customized. If they come in and say, oh, this happened to me over the weekend, I got into a car accident, we're going to change the plan. So yeah. I do that. But after each client, I schedule a 15 minute break for myself to get up, to decompress, to take time to calm down my nervous system because I've put so much energy into the session and watching their movements, instructing them, okay, we need to get you to feel this about your body so that your body can relax here so you get rid of that pain. We're going to do this for that pain. So I'm constantly pouring a lot of energy into the session. So I need to get up mm -hmm. afterwards to move around. So that keeps me calm. And then I practice my breathing also, but I also have a decompression walk at the end of the day as well. And then I do some of the breathing as well in the evening to calm me down again. Now, I love that you mentioned that you schedule your breaks and stuff, too, because that's something I've been learning more so with myself, because I've noticed if I don't schedule a break or downtime, I just don't take it. And then I just <laughs> try to fill my time with another hobby or, oh, I could catch up with this. But then it just I just end up getting way too stressed out and burn out. It's definitely essential to schedule that that downtime. So in addition to everything in your in your busy life and busy schedule, I see that you also co-authored two Amazon number one bestselling books. Don't Quit, Stories of Persistence, Courage and Faith and Success Habits of Super Achievers, which breaks down your journey on how, how and why you developed the Paber Method to begin with. What was the entire experience like of contributing to both of those books? It was great. So I hadn't done a book before. I have an article published in a scientific magazine that I used to do scientific research. So I was familiar with writing and a little bit of the process, but I wasn't familiar as much with the book process. So I joined up with Kyle Wilson and some others to put together a chapter that talked about my story and how I evolved into this business, it can be very useful to have short stories like that. You know, our attention spans in this world is very, very short nowadays, and <laughs> we don't hold our attentions very well. So having different stories that teach a point or teach a concept 
is a very useful way for people to gather information and they can put the book down you know if we don't have time to read the whole thing at one sitting so this is very useful and so I was able to contribute to those books and got to meet a lot of amazing other people in that process and you know it, it's nice now it's out there and I, we hit number one the success habit of super achievers book was hit can't even remember was it 30 or 40 categories of number one on Amazon so it was a very nice book and a lot of people have gained a lot of value from it no that's awesome you were able to team up with Kyle Wilson and things too because I just remember a previous conversation and interview with my friend MJ who self-publishes a lot of poetry and things like that and a lot of that he just does on his own he doesn't really have much of a team or anything yet and he mentioned that previously too about just how much goes into it and how much he has to juggle and do on his own in terms of like proofreading and and just Mm -hmm. design on the cover and things like that and how much he really has to pay attention to details so you know networking and having that team I definitely would help it does and I'm working on my own book it'll just be a solo book but I'm halfway through writing it and it takes a lot of time so it's nice to join in with someone else to tell your story and and get the information out there that you really want to share to help someone else I'm interested in that book you're working on as well so I guess in addition to that is there anything else exciting on the horizon for you right now there's a lot going on (laughs) yes I'm working (laughs) on a on an online course as well to teach this working one-on-one with me obviously will speed line people's progress but a lot of people want to learn on their own time they don't Mm want to work one-on-one or maybe finances doesn't allow them to pay me one-on-one so I'm working on an online course so it can reach more people because if I'm one person you know I obviously can't touch the whole world in you know in my short lifespan so I want to put a course out there so that it can reach more people and so that's in the works and that's coming up and Um, as well as certifying other healthcare practitioners in this process too, in this method. No, that's so cool. And I I know you're you're very active on social media and everything too with um, doing everything virtual with your guided breathing techniques. That's just kind of the nature of our, our world, definitely. I mean, I almost feel like COVID kind of forced our hand with it, with that being a much more widespread, acceptable thing. Not that it wasn't before. It's uh, right front and center, I feel like, and almost here to stay. So it's really exciting stuff and definitely a way to put yourself out there more to reach, I mean, anyone else in the world, really. I am grateful. I'm grateful. If you imagine back during the Spanish flu, they didn't have this technology. When they shut down, you were in your house (laughs) and you didn't really have any interaction. Now we can still interact with people. I can do my work literally from anywhere and reach anyone. And let me tell you, I am extremely grateful to that. I I found that really admirable and almost like a weird silver lining of it, too, because I saw a lot of my friends, you know, either picking up old hobbies or discovering new hobbies during the pandemic to just occupy their time, you know, myself included, I found myself doing that and just using creative outlets. And I think that's really admirable and something that, you know, I, I feel very fortunate as well to have in our current day and age, given the circumstance and the position I guess the world is in. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you want to touch on before we get into plugins? I think that you covered a lot of my life. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I tried to do. I'm exhausted with my own life and I'm living it. <laughs> just from hearing what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a ton of research and, and everything. There were so many 
places to turn for everything that you do. It was, it was, I mean, overwhelming with just so much stuff, but in a good way. I mean, there's so many yeah. amazing things that you do. So <laughs> I wish you all the best with everything. Now, where can people find more information about the Paber Institute or anything else you want to plug? Ideally, go to the website, paberinstitute.com, P-A-B-R institute.com. And I also do free 15-minute consults. So if you're not sure if this is right for you or you're not sure what you want to do, you can always set up a consultation with me or even just send an email to me and let me know what free resources you want. I have an email list. I do YouTube stuff. I have the private Facebook group. So email is the best way to connect with me. It's amy, A-M-Y, at paberinstitute.com, P-A-B-R institute.com. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and, and chat with me about all this. And I, I wish you the best with all of the things you're doing, the, the 10,000 hobbies and... <laughs> And everything included. Um, looking forward to that that book and just everything that you're doing moving forward with the Paber Institute. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on, Eric. And again, you know, if I can help your audience in any way or help you in any way, never hesitate to reach out to me. I mean, it's what we're here for is helping each other. Definitely. And thank you so much. I'll definitely be in touch. Like I said, wish you the best with everything. And um, I'm sure we'll keep in touch soon. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. A link to the Paber Institute's website, along with Amy's email, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way, which quite a few people have been taking advantage of. Episode slots have been booked for the remainder of 2021, so definitely don't wait to add your name to the list. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing for this episode was done by R.B. Rowe. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening. And remember to never stop exploring.